Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne on Global Voice Radio. Join Roxanne Durhage and her thought-provoking conversations, the catalyst to live your life to the fullest. So hi everyone, it's uh, Roxanne Durhodge. I'm so happy that you're joining me uh, today along with my guest, uh, Deanna Wong. So I would like to let you know that um, my podcast is gonna be just about uh, relationships. Because as you know, I'm a relationship uh, therapist and a coach, and my book is written on uh, relationships. And today we're so privileged to have uh, Deanna um, who has written an amazing book that's about to come out. So um, let me tell you a little bit about her. Um, it's called Already One, and it's going to be out pretty soon, and I hope she'll be able to tell us when. Um, it's From Serving My Country and Overcoming Cancer to Living a Vibrant Life by, Doc, by Colonel Deanna Wong. Uh, she's the founder of Keynotes uh, to Life, a speaker. She's a leadership consultant, a holistic uh, coach, health coach, and um, she tries to let people reach their, their highest potential through integrating principles with purpose and healthy living. So thank you for uh, being here today, Deanna. Oh, thanks, Roxanne. It's great to be here with you. So you're my first guest, so I'm going to say that, uh, you know, the, the this topic that we're going to be talking about, just so our viewers are aware, it's, you know, like we call it, uh, you and I had said the other day when we chatted the big C word, uh, which is cancer, which I know keeps us up a lot at night for the average person. So Deanna's going to tell us a little bit, hopefully about her story and what her struggles were with actually having ovarian cancer and what kind of things she learned about herself through the process and to get herself through full recovery. So Deanna, tell us, tell us a little bit about you and your path and what, what kind of led you here today. Oh, sure. Okay. So, I was, uh, you know, I'd spent uh, well over 20 years working as a physicist in the Air Force. And um, I was actually at basically at the height of my career working as a colonel. And that's when I found out that I had ovarian cancer. And um, it was quite a shock to me because, uh, you know, being in the military, they, you know, we, we get physically tested every year, medically, you know, they check on us to make sure we're, you know, in good shape. And, um, but yet I, you know, found out that I had this, um, diagnosis and I immediately began, um, to change my diet. Um, I, you know, growing up, my mother's father was a Chinese herbalist. And so I grew up seeing how effective these herbs can heal the body without any side effects. And so that had very profound impact on me because when I was in the hospital uh, experiencing excruciating pain uh, where my body was actually convulsing involuntarily, um, I was really surprised when they put me on a morphine IV, it did really nothing to relieve any of that pain. 
And in fact, it made me more sick. And so they, they gave me other medications. And what I saw was a very vicious cycle of medications. Um, and so that's what really got me on this path of trying to heal holistically. And so I immediately changed my diet. I started eating organic, raw, vegan food only. And I started juicing green vegetables and wheatgrass juice. And within three months of making this change, my elevated tumor marker actually dropped back down to uh, normal and the tumor actually started to shrink. And so I thought, well, that's great. You know, this, I, this is on, I'm on the right path here. Uh, so I continued this and, um, you know, 10 months down the road, my doctor's extremely pleased and he shows me the scan, which shows that the tumor is actually dying from the inside out. And so at that point, I thought, wow, everything's under control. And so I went back to working my normal, you know, very long 16, 18 hour days in the military. And I went overseas for my job where I was not able to maintain that diet and regimen. And what I found when I returned back to the United States is that um, all the good progress I had made reversed and the tumor started to grow aggressively. So I had this rather large tumor now that was growing because it, was, it tripled in size in just a period of three months. Um, and it, it was actually as large as 27 centimeters, which is basically like this. It was huge. And um, it spread. I was told that it spread to my uh, peritoneal lining. So I was told I had peritoneal carcinoma as well. And um, it, it affected my lungs. Both of my lungs collapsed and filled with fluid. And that's when the doctors admitted me into hospice. And I was told that I had four weeks left to live. I was actually on oxygen. And, um, you know, it, it's interesting because that was rather challenging time for me uh, physically, but I think there was still a part of me that was still in a bit of denial. Um, I was still, at that point, I was still trying to attend conferences and take classes and courses because I really felt like I was on this journey or quest to just learn as much as I could. Um, and, and that's actually what put me on the path of trying to heal holistically because I had done so much research, you know, once I got over the initial fear of the diagnosis. And um, it, it took a lot for me to finally realize how really dire my situation was. And it, you know, it came to a point where I wasn't able to eat anything solid for close to 40 days because by this time, my stomach and my left lung had shifted further to the left. And then I could barely drink anything. Um, it would take me one hour just to drink a glass of the vegetable juice because it just created so much pain every time I tried to swallow something. And um, then, you know, when I was literally gasping for air and I couldn't breathe anymore, it was very challenging. Um, I realized that it was only a matter of time before you know, I, my organs would expire because due to the lack of oxygen. Um, and what happened is one day I, um, my, my blood pressure dropped. It, it just dropped so low that all the muscles in my body began to contract. And by this point, I was retaining a lot of fluid. And so I would gain actually up to 10 pounds of fluid in just one day. Mm -hmm. And it was very painful. And so 
when I was in this state, I really thought that was the end of my life. You know, it, it was like more pain than I could bear. And um, I was, you know, just screaming for help. And um, my cousin was there with her mother taking care of me. And uh, she called the hospice nurse and that nurse just said, well, just, you know, give her some pain medication and call me back in a half hour. And I'm so glad that my cousin said, you know, we don't have a half hour, I'm going to call 911. And so they came, I got admitted, um, and I was told that, you know, you, you have to start chemotherapy right away. If you don't, you know, you're going to die, essentially. Wow. And I, I prayed about it. And what I, I said to God, you know, if you want me to do the chemo, I will do it, but I need to hear this from you because with my background as a physicist and having worked in chemical and biological defense, I understood some of the um, effects that chemotherapy would have, um, you know, not only on the cancer cells, but on my immune system, which is a very system that you would need to be able to effectively handle the cancer. And so what I heard back was to ask for the cytology report, which is, you know, they, they had just drawn out all this fluid out of my abdomen and, um, you know, it, it was just like bags of red blood that they took out of me. Um, it really should be straw yellow as a normal color. And so when I saw that and, um, you know, heard back from God that, you know, to ask an oncologist for this, I asked, but his initial response was, we don't have any time to wait for that report. It's going to be malignant and I need you to start chemotherapy right away because your condition is very poor. And I pushed back and he finally agreed to wait for the report. It took another two days and I'm not even sure I could hang on for that amount of time because it's just so hard to breathe. Um, and he came back and said, you know, your intuition to wait for this report was a good one because it came back negative for cancer cells. And that was really surprising to me. It was surprising to the doctors. And so he went on to explain to me that what this means is you can actually, this opens up the opportunity for you to have surgery. So I said yes right away. And I would have to be transferred to another hospital, but they didn't have any beds available. It would take another three days. And in the meantime, you know, my blood levels are so low. I have to have five blood transfusions. I have to have the fluid drained out of my lungs. And um, the surgeon, he's not even sure I can go through surgery because he says you look too emaciated to even go through surgery. But in the end, they decided to press forward with it. Uh, you know, they, they prepped me for it and they said, you know, when you come to after the surgery, don't be alarmed to have a, you're going to have a tube down your throat. You're going to be in ICU. Well, I went through all that and um, came out, you know, I mean, I was in a great deal of pain. I was very weak, but um, it was a very gradual process. But they told me that once they did the pathology on the tumor, that I had a very rare malignant form of ovarian cancer called granulosa cell tumor. And it took me several months to rehabilitate. Uh, I had physical therapists and occupational therapists working with me. And uh, it was literally like having to relearn how to, you know, climb up and down the stairs. They had straps around me so I wouldn't fall. And, you know, I had to learn how to navigate outside on uneven ground. And, um, and that's, you know, essentially the experience I went through. And um, what, what, a, go ahead. what a story. Like, um, you know, you kind of, you know, you hear these stories and, and oftentimes 
you'll hear people talk about having to go right into chemotherapy and sounds like you something within you, whether it's prayer or it's just something bigger allowed you to listen to, to wait for that report. And, you know, what I'm fascinated with, with you is um, that you had the courage, first of all, to take the alternative route, um, even though you were uh, probably uh, exposed to tradition, like Chinese traditional nutrition. So when you kind of think about, you know, I, I often say that the, you know, the physiological, the emotional and psychological and the spiritual are all one. And when you kind of look at your path in life, what kind of signs or were there signs that you think in retrospect, you know what, Roxanne, I probably should have kind of heeded this or that you mentioned something 16 to 18 hour days, like, wow. Um, what, what kind of other things, you know, were you doing that now, um, now that you're, you're so uh, graciously recovered. And I mean, when I saw you and met you two years ago, um, you know, you would not have known that you were in any way ill. What kind of other things um, do you reflect on or have you written in the book that would um, help us understand some of the things that you may have noticed earlier on? I would say the most important thing, I think, is really to become aware. Um, what I learned is I wasn't aware of what I was feeling emotionally. All these years in the Air Force, you know, I was trained to accomplish the mission, to take care of the people. But I, in the process of doing that, I lost track of what was going on within me. And, you know, if I can backtrack a bit, you know, when I was younger, growing up as a young girl, I told my parents, you know, I think I want to be a, a gymnast, a ballerina, or a pianist. You know, they're all artist type professions. And my parents, you know, they meant very well, but they said to me, um, you can't make a living like that. Um, you know, it's very hard to make a living as an artist. And so you need to have something more solid and have music as, you know, the art as, as a hobby. And so that's what caused me to, you know, go to the Air Force Academy where I earned my bachelor's in physics. And that's what set me off on this Air Force career. It's almost like I did the exact opposite because I thought, well, you know, physics, I'm interested in it and it's, it's solid, you know, and, and that's what I did. And, um, you know, I, I think what I did was I, I realized that, you know, and it's, it's kind of ironic in a way because when I got to the Air Force Academy, that's actually when I started to realize how much I really loved music in particular and playing the piano. At that time, I was I actually managed to study some piano with a, a Russian um, instructor, and um, you know many of my classmates even asked me, "Why don't you? Why didn't you become a concert pianist?" And um, I just didn't think, you know, because of what my parents told me, I didn't think I have a choice. And that's I think the theme that kind of ran through my life is not feeling like you have a choice, you know. And so all these long hours I worked. Um, you know, in my mind, I told myself, well, you know, I, this is, I'm working in a profession that is to, you know, protect our country. There are lives at stake. And so, you know, working long hours just kind of comes with the territory. But, you know, when you do that, there's a cost that comes to it. And, and it's really your own health because, you know, I would work till the late hours of night and I would be exhausted um, and I just thought, well, this is how it's supposed to be. I didn't know there was a choice. Uh, so 
so, you know, I, I think probably, you know, the, the thing that I talk about in my book is just really, you know, realizing that it's your life and you really do have choices in life, you know, as to what you do, what you don't do. And I really think that what you do ought to bring you joy. It ought to be something that you're passionate about. And what I did, you know, I mean, I really did enjoy my time in the Air Force because it afforded me the opportunity to meet some incredible, you know, very dedicated people. And I got to, you know, kind of move and live around the world, which is something I've always, you know, wanted to do. But at the same time, there was a whole other side of me that wasn't being expressed. And that was, you know, the creative artistic Deanna. So um, the, the, the adolescent didn't rebel. You didn't stand up or, or, you know, you know, we think of our typical adolescents, you know, and they, they rebel and, you know, they do certain things, but you, you didn't at that point, you did what you thought was needed to make uh, the people in your family happy. So would you mind telling me a little bit more about that? Yeah. And so I, I had a very deep seated desire to please my parents and to please my bosses um, and I think that's what kind of got me on that path. I, I really think that people, I, I've, I've been studying this for a while, but you know, people who have cancer, have been diagnosed with cancer, you know, typically they're people pleasers. They put the needs of others before themselves. And there's a whole part of their life that is not integrated into who they are. And so I feel like I, I certainly kind of, um, you know, met, I meet that criteria, or I met it back then at least, um, where because I was trying to please people, um, I, I didn't think I had a choice. But, you know, I started to realize that um, when I was my first assignment in the Air Force, um, it's interesting because I was working on my master's degree in physics, and about halfway through that degree, I actually thought, you know, you know, there's no one, I can't really talk to just an ordinary person about what I'm learning about. You know, it's like Hilbert space and, you know, the nth dimension of this and quantum mechanics. And so I thought, well, why am I doing this? And after a while, I thought, you know, maybe I'm doing this to please my parents. Maybe I'm doing this because it's what the Air Force expects of me. So I thought, well, what would make me happy? And I thought, music. And so I, what I did was I left the physics program and I enrolled in an associate's program in piano performance and music. And I felt so incredibly fulfilled doing this. You know, even though I was working full time in the Air Force, I would get to my job at 6.30, you know, so I could leave in time to get to my classes at night. And I carried a full time, you know, student load as well. But it didn't feel like work to me because I, I really feel like that's something that I was passionate about, you know, that brought me joy. So, so what I hear is that really, and as a psychotherapist, um, I always talk about parts of self when I deal with people. And what I hear is that that part of yourself, that, that emotional, joyful part of yourself that you truly knew was there, you kind of tucked away or you maybe minimized uh, the importance of that beautiful gift. Like, I mean, not only are you you're a physicist, which is, we know what that is, you know, the thought of physics makes me cringe. <laughs> and to be able to go on and do a PhD in it, Deanna, what, what an accomplishment. But at the same time, to be able to have a passion that you were 
um, you could work these 16 and 18 hour days and still find a bit of joy. It's amazing um, that you had the ability to do both. But what you're saying is that it wasn't enough somewhere along the way based on some of the other things that were happening in your life. The length of days. Um, did you have signs like, you know, were your thoughts kind of, you know, were there little signs of thoughts saying, what are you doing, Deanna? Oh my goodness. What, what kind of things were running through your mind? Because I often say, um, you know, that physiologically, the body eventually gives us no choice, right? When, you know, we create a dis-ease of the body, which is disease, and then we have to acknowledge it. But oftentimes, we might have some earlier signs, psychological, emotional, or even sometimes spiritual. Did you kind of notice some of those things in retrospect um, after the fact? Yeah, I did. Um, and what I realized is, and I think it goes all the way back to my childhood even, I always felt like a sense of inadequacy, like I wasn't good enough. And that stayed with me. It did not matter how much I had accomplished in my career, you know, being a physicist, being a colonel, it just somehow, it, it just didn't really seem to sink in um, to me that I was okay and that I didn't have to keep trying to achieve. And, you know, I, I really think I, I must have derived my value from, you know, what I did. And I didn't realize it until here I was laying in my deathbed in hospice and I couldn't do anything. And so then I had to come to terms with, well, you know, am I worth any less now because I can't work and I can't accomplish things? And my conclusion was that no, um, I have inherent value as a human being, even though I'm right now, I'm just too sick to do anything. And so that was a big revelation to me. And I, I just think that, you know, had I paid more attention to, you know, why, why was I doing all these things? Um, you know, you know, just this, this need to uh, achieve and to be excellent. I, I think I had a sense of perfectionism as well. Everything had to be done perfectly. Um, and, and I, I now, I, I believe that the reason why I did that was because I didn't feel like I was good enough on the inside. Amazing that, you know, those thoughts as you know, I call it the little, the little, uh, bits of chatter that kind of flows through our brain and it's kind of there. It's the backdrop sometimes of things and we don't really stop to acknowledge it. And then it can get louder and louder, but we drown it out based on mm -hmm. something that we may do. Now for the average re uh, person that's listening in, right? Um, that maybe, you know, they're not as far along. They maybe work too much. Maybe they don't work out as much. Maybe they, you know, they eat okay, but they're tired all the time. What are some of the tips that you would give to them um, just about, you know, some things that they can do to start managing kind of overall health from what you've learned? I know you did a ton of research. You've lived the life. You've done the juicing. You've done a lot of the green um, kind of homeopathic uh, remedies. What kind of things would you say to people are some basic things that they can start to do uh, that might help them to replenish if they've depleted their system? I would say the first thing would be, and it doesn't, you know, doesn't matter what kind of diet you're on, but I would say to definitely add more plant-based foods. And if you can add, you know, raw vegetables, that's even better because raw foods are full of enzymes. You know, these enzymes actually get destroyed when we cook foods and okay. we're living beings. And so we need to replenish ourselves with something that has the life force still in it. Okay. Um, 
And I would say, you know, to cut out sugar, um, that's probably one of the biggest culprit of, I would say, most of our chronic diseases and illnesses. Um, sugar is very inflammatory and um, it, that's really the, the first step in chronic diseases is it starts with inflammation. Um, I would say to get enough rest, um, it's really important to get to bed, you know, I would say no later than 10 o'clock at night. It might sound kind of early, but if you think about it, um, we are really the only species, I think, on this planet that has, we've separated ourselves from nature. You know, all other living beings, animals, plants, they're tied to the sunlight and circadian rhythm. And because we have, you know, electricity, lights, computers, we've almost kind of separated ourselves from that. And so it's easy to just, you know, stay up all hours of the night working. But when you do that, you really disrupt the, the, the very fine balances, you know, melatonin, you know, so that you can sleep. Um, you know, they say that for uh, every hour that you sleep before midnight is actually equivalent to two hours um, after midnight. Two hours, um, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yes. So these are really, really basic things that people can start doing. I would, I know we're, we're gonna probably be out of time, which is so mm -hmm. unfortunate. I would love for you to come back and talk a little bit more about actual, um, a lot more to do with the nutrition um, exercise. And I don't mean like dra dramatic exercise, but just some things that people can do. And some of maybe the psychological, even emotional things that you've learned to implement in your life, because obviously you're, you're a living legend for what you've been able to um, endure, what your body, uh, the state that your body was in. And, you know, it was past the point of depletion, obviously. And now you've kind of brought it up probably, you know, to a healthier state than you, you know, uh, most of us could ever, you know, um, hope to be at, you know, but I think even some, some basic steps that you could potentially share with us, that would be amazing if you could come back because I'm sure that people would be, I know I'm intrigued. I want to know more about some of the things that you've done and some of the things that I might be able to implement in my day-to-day -day kind of life. So, um, so hopefully you'll be able to potentially come back again and share that with us. So with yourself, um, what's one, one statement or message that you give the viewers um, just about um, when they get scared about, you know, cancer, what, what would you tell them? I would say to develop a strong faith because faith is what will allow you to keep your hope alive. Even when nobody else around you believes, you know, that it's possible, you know, the doctors may not even believe it, but um, that's where I think faith is really important because if someone is dealing with a lot of fear, it's going to negatively impact their entire body because there's just all these biochemical changes that take place based on how we feel. And so um, for me, that was probably the biggest thing. And I would really encourage people, you know, to never lose hope. And the way you do that is really by developing a strong faith because faith allows you to continue to believe even where your rational mind can't really fully comprehend it. And there's no reason to. Wow, that's amazing. So, you know, like we, they always say, love, not fear. So ready to believe in something bigger. So where can people get a hold of you if they're wanting to know more, if they'd like to uh, potentially coach with you, or if you've got some programs, where, where could they, what's your website that they could go to and, and connect with you? 
Yeah, they can go to my website. It's um, deannawan.com. That's D-E-A-N-N-A-W-N.com. And they can sign up there for a complimentary consultation with me. And they, if they sign up for my email list, they can also get um, a sugar cleanse sheet from me. Well, thank you so much for being here today. When is the book going to be released? And I would love to, to have you on again, even just before the release, um, so that people can, will it be available um, like on Amazon and all the different distributors? Right, right. I, the book should be released within the next year. Okay. So it will be sometime next year, um, hopefully, be, you know, before September next year or by September the very latest. Fantastic. So minimally they can reach out and I would love to have you come back and uh, us talk a little bit more about biochemical um, and because I want to talk, I, you know, a lot about hypo, hyper arousal, fear, um, the fear states um, and physiolo physiologically what that, that does and also, um, you know, some of the PTSD or PTS that you would have been exposed to mm. the environment that you were in. That would be, a, a, I think, a fascinating uh, follow-up. So I hope that you'd come back. Thank you so much and uh, hope to connect soon. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me to be here, Roxanne. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Okay. Talk soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Join Authentic Living with Roxanne every Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern on Global Voice Radio.